Now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and that you will breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we had our guest preacher Debs Moyo begin by apologizing uh, for her clickbait title, Judgment Day, Will We Really Be Safe? As we looked at the first half of chapter 5 of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, so I thought I'd continue the trend as we continue looking at the second half of chapter 5 of Romans, and I thought I should come up with another clickbaity title. So the title of today's talk is, Did Jesus Get a Raw Deal? Now this morning we spent some time with the kids teaching them a little bit about bartering, how to barter. Again, that should help with the discussions at home over bedtime, screen time, candy time, and all that. Does anyone here have any experience with bartering? Good, yeah. I mean, we don't do it a lot here in Greater Victoria unless we're going to be spending exorbitant amounts of money for things like buying a house or a car. Uh, we maybe do it a little bit on used Victoria or Virage sale. Um, as I mentioned to the kids, I was indoctrinated into the world of bartering in the mean streets of Africa, and I learned and, and have been known at times in the past to drive a hard bargain. Unfortunately, as I said, sometimes as someone who's in the business for caring about people, I confess I often do feel guilty afterwards. For example, when we got our last vehicle, I realized as the deal was going on, as we were negotiating that all of a sudden, what was being offered was unbelievably good. And that meant it was time to close. It was time to make the deal and run. And then a few days later, I got a call from the manager of the dealership explaining to me that the deal was in fact unbelievable. It was too good, a mistake had been made, and we would need to come to a new agreement. But I decided we should just honor the deal that had already been made. And to give them full credit, they did. But I also know that the sales associate with whom I'd negotiated, with whom I was bartering so enthusiastically, got into trouble for, for the deal. And I felt really bad about that, so much so I even swung by and dropped him off a six-pack uh, to say, <laughs> thank you slash sorry. The deal wasn't fair. <laughs> it, was, it was good for me, but bad for the salesperson. So today, as we continue in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about the deal that was made for our salvation and whether it was fair or not. Now, leading up to this point in Paul's letter, he's painted a very unflattering picture of humanity. He uses legal terminology to explain that all of us are guilty. All of us are sinners, especially those who have been given God's law because they sin even though they know better. All of us are guilty and therefore all of us are condemned to die, both physically and spiritually. Paul often connects these two. But God sent his own son Jesus to stand trial on our behalf, even though he was guiltless, to be condemned on our behalf and to die on our behalf so that we might be forgiven, exonerated. And instead of receiving a sentence to death, eternal death, we might receive the free gift of life, eternal life. 
And we've observed over the last few weeks that this is the gospel. This is what the Bible is all about. And as we've seen over these last few weeks, this is what Paul's letter to the Romans is all about as well. An in-depth unpacking and explanation of the gospel and how it all works. And last week, Deb shared that because of all this, we can rejoice in the hope of glory. In the hope we share that death is not the end, is not permanent, is not eternal, but that what we've been granted, a far, far greater gift instead, is eternal life. And Deb's reminded us that we can rejoice in the assurance, the blessed assurance, that we will be safe on Judgment Day that we can stand confident before God because we're judged not by what we have done, but by what he has done on our behalf for us. And the main theme of today's section of Romans 5 continues to be the future hope of those who trust in Jesus. But Paul takes a moment to look at the deal that was made to secure this blessed assurance of hope. And the main point that Paul makes is that it was not a fair deal. In Romans 5, 15 to 19, and thank you to Fran for also realizing, as as I did this week, that verse 12 on does provide some added context for us. Paul describes the hope that we share in Jesus' triumph over Adam's sin. Paul repeatedly, five times throughout these five verses of our reading today, contrasts the consequences of the work of Adam and the work of Jesus. He does this through five parallel expressions, each with their own nuances. And he begins each of these five parallel expressions by reminding us that when Adam sinned, all humanity was profoundly and forever effective. Affected. Because of that one rebellious act, because of the disobedience, the trespass, the sin of one man, Adam, all people were made or caused to be sinners. That when Adam sinned as humanity's representative, the first with whom God entered a relationship, a covenantal agreement that Adam broke, God regarded the whole human race as guilty sinners as well. We have all inherited that guilt. Now, whether we inherit a sinful nature, whether we're born guilty, often referred to as original sin, or whether we're born with a clean slate, often referred to as tabula rasa, but inherit a tendency to sin, has been debated for centuries because it's not clear and because that's not the point here. Paul is teaching that all people are sinners with a sinful nature and an unavoidable tendency to sin. And that it is this sin is an exact replica of Adam's sin. It's guided by the exact same motivations, wanting to be like and autonomous from God. And therefore, all of us have inherited Adam's guilt and God's punishment, spiritual separation from God, which culminates in spiritual and physical death. 
This is the picture that Paul has been painting of humanity throughout the beginning of the letter, and it remains unflattering. It is a picture of total human depravity. Paul's not saying that we're basically good people who sometimes do bad things, but rather that we are basically flawed people whose flaws reveal themselves repeatedly in specific acts of sin. Paul's saying that the sin of one man, Adam, spread and infected and infested the entire human race. Now, all of us have now lived through a plague. We all watched as the COVID-19 virus started in one city and then spread. We watched in horror and fear as it infected and infested and engulfed entire cities in Italy and Brazil and then closer to home in New York. And here on the island, we were isolated. We were cut off from it all for a while. We went into quarantine, to lockdown, to try to contain the spread of the virus. But the ferries were still running. The planes were still landing. And one day, as Dr. Bonnie Henry shared the daily numbers on the news, we were told of one case on the island then four cases, then 17, and that was it. It was here. And now, most of us have had it, some of us a number of times. And for some, it has been mild. For others, it's been very scary, with ongoing effects. And many of us do now know people who have lost their lives to COVID-19. And it's still here. And we're told it's here to stay and that we must now learn to live with it. Sin and death began with one man, but it wasn't contained. And it was the start of a plague that spread across the world, infecting everybody. And there are many who believe that this is simply something we have to live with. That humanity's flawed nature and death are just natural parts of life. But God does not agree. Sin's entry into the world and all of our lives through one man is the premise of Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 19, but it's not the focus. We begin with sin and death, but God had something else in store. And he sent one man to defeat sin and death and darkness and despair. Now, there's a scene in the last of the Marvel's Avengers movies, Endgame, where the good guys, all the superheroes, are fighting the bad guy, Thanos. And as I think I've mentioned before, the word Thanos comes from the Greek word for death. And the good guys face this overwhelming, powerful swarm of an army, along with the titan Thanos and his infinity gauntlet, which grants him godlike power. Here's your spoiler alert. You have been pre-warned about the Marvel movies. All looks lost. The heroes are all down and defeated. But one of them, the first Avenger, Captain America, gets back up to face the oncoming, engulfing swarm of Thanos' army alone. And audiences literally cheered at this, at his heroism, but then sat nervously on the edge of their seats, knowing that he could never win this fight by himself. Thankfully, he doesn't have to. His army shows up literally out of nowhere, 
in perfect timing. If you've seen it, you know what I mean, all the circles. As Paul reflects on the guilt that we all share through the sin of one man, he contrasts it with the good news of how in his good and perfect time, God sent one man, Jesus, to stand and fight on our behalf alone and defeat Thanos, death. God sent one man, Jesus, to overcome the flood, the infestation, the plague, the pandemic of sin and death that engulfed and overwhelmed the whole world. And where any normal human being wouldn't stand a chance, not even Captain America, Jesus triumphed. Because he wasn't a normal human being. He wasn't even a superhero. Jesus was and is God. And so Paul explains through these five parallel statements, while on the one hand we had the one man Adam and his trespass and his sin, through which sin came into the world, through which many were made sinners, through which many were condemned, through which many died, through which death reigned. On the other hand, we now have the one man Jesus and his obedience and his righteousness, through which we receive abundant grace, through which we receive righteousness, through which we receive justification and life, through which we will reign in life. And Paul repeats five times that we receive all of this as a free gift. Jesus reversed the consequences of Adam's sin. He gave us his own life and righteousness to secure our salvation, our eternal salvation, so that all who believe in him can be full of hope and life. Jesus died in our place so that we might be saved. Because of Jesus' one act of righteousness that includes his whole life of perfect obedience, including his death, all who belong to him, all who choose to follow him, can trade judgment for forgiveness, can trade condemnation for salvation, can trade death for life. The world that separated itself from God regards death as a natural part of human life. But God does not view it in this way. Death is not natural. Death comes through sin. And though sin and death have infected, infested the world like a plague, like a virus, death is not here to stay. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, death is the last enemy. But Thanos, death, has been defeated by one man, Jesus, so that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. And this free gift that came through one man is offered to all. These verses emphasize the universality, both of Adam's sin and of Jesus' saving grace, that Jesus didn't do all this on behalf of one segment of humanity only, but for all. Paul emphasizes this to explain that salvation through Jesus is for both Jews and Gentiles, as we've seen him do repeatedly through the previous chapters. This salvation is for all of us, Jews and Gentiles, Christians and non-Christians, everyone across the globe. Jesus offers all of us 
all of this as a free gift. All we have to do is accept it. The deal is on the table. The choice is ours whether to take it or leave it. Now, Paul emphasizes the universal nature of this offer, and this has led some interpreters to take the verses out of context to suggest a belief called universalism, the view that all humanity will be saved no matter what, no matter, what, no matter whether we accept Jesus in this lifetime or not. The view that if God is a loving God, he will not let any of his people that he created die. He will not ultimately allow them to reject his offer. But that argument is rooted in a human definition of God's love. It ignores God's justice, and it ignores a lot of scripture. And as we've seen, God gave us free will. He gave us the choice to love him or not, because love isn't love if it's forced on us. God doesn't force his righteousness on anyone. Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels and even in today's Gospel reading that many will reject him and reject his followers and reject the free gift that he offers. Paul doesn't teach universalism anywhere. Rather, in the context of all his teaching, even in the context of just this one letter, as we've already seen in our journey through Romans, Paul consistently teaches that this free gift that is offered must be received through faith. So in each parallel statement, the first all people refers to all who are in Adam, every human being. But the second all people refers to all believers, all who accept the free gift of salvation. Whether we are included in this or not is a choice we have to make. Chaos theory is centered on the premise that something as small as the flap of a butterfly's wing could ultimately cause ripples throughout the world that may even cause a typhoon halfway around the world, that every action, every decision we make has an effect on the world around us and alters the course of history. My apology to any of us who suffer from anxiety. When the Avengers are fighting Thanos, one of the superheroes, Doctor Strange, who's able to look through time, sees 14,605,000 different outcomes. Of the 14,605,000 different ways the Avengers could attempt to save Earth from Thanos, Iron Man asks Doctor Strange, of those 14,605,000 possible futures, how many do we win? And Doctor Strange gives Iron Man a long look and then replies, one. We have a decision to make. The decision will affect not only our future, but the lives of those around us and the lives of those to come. As we see in Adam, our decisions affect more than just ourselves. It's not a popular perspective in today's world. God has put the deal on the table and it shouldn't be as difficult of a decision as many of us so often make it out to be. If we do nothing, we receive death through Adam. If we come to God by faith, we receive life through Christ. Of all the choices we could make, there is only one way 
in which we can defeat Thanos, one way in which we can defeat death. There is only one right choice. Jesus. Paul describes how sin and death came into the world through one man, Adam, but God sent one man, Jesus, to triumph over sin and death and restore righteousness and life. However, the main point Paul makes is that this wasn't a fair deal. What God has done in the one man, Jesus, is far, far more than simply putting the human race back where it was intended to be before the arrival of sin. It's far, far greater than a simple reversal of Adam's sin and its results. As N.T. Wright puts it, death is purely negative. God's gift of life cannot be simply compared with it, as though death and new life were simply equal and opposite. The trespass and the gift are not equal and opposite. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more, as we sing often. Because the gift that God offers is more than even eternal life. The gift is adoption, as is children and heirs. So that as Paul reminds us in verse 17, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus offers us the opportunity to be born again into his spiritual family, a birth that begins with forgiveness and leads to eternal life and comes with the promise that one day we will reign with him in his kingdom as his sons and daughters, his royal heirs. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is so much more. So did Jesus get a raw deal? The answer is no. He was willing to do this for us because he loves us. So much that the terms and conditions are not what matters. And this is the main point of Paul's repetitive rant comparing the work of Adam to the work of Jesus. The astonishing, difficult to comprehend, overwhelming, unfair depth and lavishness of God's love and grace that we experience through Jesus. Let's take a moment to let that sink in. To pause and reflect on the astonishing generosity of God's grace. Have you really grasped this lavish scale of God's generosity? What an astonishing, incredible deal he has offered you. A deal that may not be fair, but that you don't have to feel bad about or guilty about because he's happy to offer it, because he loves you, and he wants nothing more than for you to take it. So if you haven't already, take it. Take the deal and run. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that sin and death are not a natural part of the life that you intend for each one of us. We thank you for the lavish, astonishing free gift of forgiveness for our sins and eternal life 
as your children and heirs. This free gift that you offer all of us. God, today we pray for those that have not yet accepted this gift. God, would you give us the opportunity to share this gift with them? Would you give us the words to say? God, would you open their eyes and their ears, their minds and their hearts, that they would see, hear, understand, and accept you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.